0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd, more at candlewoodartsfestival.org.
1: Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Monday, January 9th. Upcoming plans to improve Imperial Beach. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The pedestrian crossing at the San Ysidro Port of Entry, known as Pad West, has officially reopened. For now, it will be open during limited hours, from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. daily. The reopening comes after being closed to the general public for nearly three years because of the pandemic. San Diego County's newest sheriff, Kelly Martinez, will take her oath of office in front of the public today. She officially started her term as the county's new sheriff last Monday. Martinez has been with the San Diego County Sheriff's Department since 1985. Also today, six newly elected officials will be sworn into office at the County Administration Center Board Chamber. The elected officials include 4th District Supervisor Nathan Fletcher, 5th District Supervisor Jim Desmond, and District Attorney Summer Steffen. The swearing-in ceremony begins at 10 this morning. A San Diego County Sheriff's deputy was arrested last week on suspicion of drug crimes and more than a dozen counts of burglary. Corey Dean Ritchie has been with the law enforcement agency since 2007. He was taken into custody when he arrived to work Friday. In a statement, the Sheriff's Department said their agency does not tolerate any criminal activity from employees and they investigate all actions of misconduct. Richie has been suspended without pay and is being held at the San Diego Central Jail on $250,000 bail. His arraignment is scheduled for tomorrow. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, Presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at CandlewoodArtsFestival.org.
1: Imperial Beach has long had a reputation as a scruffy beach town, but it's been gentrifying in recent years. Now city officials unveiled a new plan to make it a destination city. KPBS reporter Gustavo Salis has the story.
2: If you haven't visited Imperial Beach in a while, you may not recognize it. The town's gritty surfer vibe is still there. But now, there's a fancy hotel right on the beach and a bunch of new shops, restaurants, and breweries. While IB's gentrification came later than most places in San Diego County, it didn't come out of nowhere. It actually started back in the year 2000 with a planning document that was simply called the big picture. Newly elected mayor Paloma Aguirre says that the big picture changed Seacoast Drive, which is the city's beachfront commercial corridor. We talked on the IB Pier last week as the winter storms are coming in.
3: Overall, we've made tremendous progress, especially in the last eight years. Uh, We've brought a lot of new businesses to IB, especially in our Seacoast area, on our Palm Avenue corridor.
2: Now, there's a new version of the big picture for the coming decade. Officials are calling it The Bigger Picture. City Manager Andy Hall came up with the name.
0: You know, everybody talked about the big picture, the big picture, and it was a great, great document for providing vision and whatnot. So we thought, let's not mess with it, let's call it the bigger picture. I know, just chapter two.
2: This time, the vision goes beyond Seacoast Drive. It includes new public services, an updated pier, and new pedestrian-friendly shopping corridors in the east part of town.
0: The bigger picture really had a lot to do with Um, having the nature of Imperial Beach change from trying to be just a bedroom community to being something more.
2: Mayor Aguirre is especially proud of the fact that the new plan includes 13th Street and the eastern part of Palm Avenue. Both areas have historically been neglected.
3: Districts 1 and Districts 4, which are the um, northern and eastern, the outskirts of our city, if you will, haven't had the same amount of investment as um, other areas like where we are today, right, And, and Seacoast have had in the past.
2: Individual parts of the plan will be funded by a voter-approved sales tax, hotel taxes, the general fund, and other fees. It also includes infrastructure improvements that the entire region will benefit from. Part of that will be at the Bayshore Bikeway, a bike path that includes the Silver Strand Beach just north of I-B and wraps around the entire San Diego Bay. It will eventually connect to the border. Hall says that the people and vehicles who use the bikeway have changed over the last 20 years, so the city needs to change with them.
0: We didn't have electric bikes going 25 miles an hour when, when the bike path first put in. Um, we didn't have as many pedestrians walking on the bike path. Now we, there's a lot of bicycle-pedestrian conflict. So we need to have things like hydration stations and lights.
2: Some of the initiatives of the bigger picture are already in the works. The city brought back its Parks and Recreation Department and a facelift to IB Pier is already underway.
3: People propose to each other here. We see it. We we witness it. And so absolutely, I think it's definitely going to generate a lot more revenue for for Imperial Beach.
2: That's Jen Crowley. I spoke with her inside the Cowabunga Ice Cream Shop that's been at the pier for 20 years.
3: In the 90s, it wasn't the best place to be. And so I used to come here And it was kind of, Ivy had a bad name at the time, unfortunately. And so there's been a lot of cleaning up.
2: Crowley says she's excited to see how the bigger picture plays out and changes Imperial Beach over the next decade. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News.
1: Around a dozen homeless people will have a warm, safe, and dry place to stay for a while, thanks to a church in Del Mar. Here's KPBS reporter Claire Strong with the story.
4: St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Del Mar is providing a welcome respite from the recent heavy rain for those who don't have a regular roof over their head. Over the next two weeks, families and individuals will be offered warm beds, cooked meals and help with finding jobs. It's all part of the Interfaith Rotational Shelter Program, which involves different religious groups working together to help the homeless. Reverend Paige Blair-Hubert says
1: some of the people have experienced lots of hardship. Some of our guests may have left situations of domestic violence and may have some mental health needs and support following that tragic situation and so they will be really getting wraparound services while they are with us.
4: It's the first time since the pandemic that St. Peter's has hosted the event. St. James's Church in Solana Beach will be up next. Claire Strong, KPBS News.
1: It's been over two years since the disappearance of May Maya Miliate. The 39-year-old mother of three went missing on January 7, 2021. The district attorney has charged Maya's husband, Larry Miliate, with murder. The first hearing in the case will be this week, but they still haven't found a body. Her sister, Mary Chris Trullet, says despite that fact, they are still hoping for closure.
0: Hopefully... The truth comes out and hopefully if he had anything to do with my sister that he will have a change of heart and then that he'll let us know where my sister is and bring her home. That's all I wanted.
1: We've reached out to the district attorney about the case to ask if there was still an active search for the body. They said they do not comment on pending cases. Coming up Mountain lions may live closer to us than we thought. We'll have that story and more just after the break.
0: we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite
4: you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
1: New federal regulations under consideration could help clean up the air in the region's at-risk neighborhoods. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says Barrio Logan, National City, and San Ysidro stand to see the biggest benefit. The EPA is looking at tightening the amount of particle pollution that it considers acceptable.
3: Environment America's Lisa Frank says a substantial change could save thousands of lives. Particulate pollution, or more commonly known as soot, um, are tiny particles of air pollution that come from Uh, from oil refineries, from diesel, from our cars, their tailpipe pollution. That could help clean up the air around San Diego's working waterfront and along the international border. Both areas suffer from higher than average pollution linked to industrial activity or cars and trucks. State officials consider those neighborhoods to have some of the highest health risks in California. The rule change could go into effect later this year. Eric Anderson, KPBS News.
1: San Diego wants to see dozens of more roundabouts by 2035, but the city is already behind on its short-term goals. I news source reporter Crystal Niebla tells us why and what residents make of them.
0: Roundabouts are intersections where traffic travels in a counterclockwise direction, but for residents like Harold Lawson, who frequents the newest roundabout at Florida and Morley Field Drives, say they might be more dangerous and some drivers don't know how to use them yet.
5: Some of the traffic is coming in at 40 or 50 miles an hour. Uh, and then you have the traffic coming down the hill that's essentially blind.
0: Studies show roundabouts actually reduce collisions. The city says delays for constructing more are linked to funding and the capacity to build them. For KPBS, I'm search reporter Crystal Niebla.
1: Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. After a decade of living wild in the Griffith Park area of L.A., mountain lion P-22 was captured and euthanized last month at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. He was in the care of the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, who determined the cat was too sick and injured to return to his Hollywood home. While in some ways P-22's situation was unique, mountain lions aren't uncommon here, and they make their homes closer to ours than you might think. Dr. Winston Vickers, director of the UC Davis-California Mountain Lion Project, and Dr. Jessica Sanchez with the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, joined KPBS's Jade Heidman to talk about the life of mountain lions.
5: Winston, I'll start with you. After the passing of Hollywood Hills's famous Puma, uh, P-22, one of the things that struck me was I didn't realize he lived so close to people. Is this unusual?
4: It's not unusual in California or really anywhere where uh, people have built uh, homes and development out into wild areas. Uh, Mountain lions, it's not as if they are around people all the time, but they uh, do as they wander through their uh, normal territories or disperse uh, from their mothers, they have to find new home. And and oftentimes they will, in that exploration and also just a normal territorial movement, Uh, they will at times come around people. Part of that is due to our um, tendency to attract wildlife, actually, other wildlife that may be prey for mountain lions. Uh, Feeding deer, feeding uh, other animals can bring uh, predators closer to people. So uh, we do have a certain amount of of presence of mountain lions relatively close to people uh, at certain times.
5: And Jessica, there are pumas living close to Safari Park, right? I mean, what do we know about them?
3: Yeah. So um, the San Pasqual Valley, where the Safari Park is located, is actually an agricultural preserve, and it's adjacent to a lot of other large areas of land that are conserved and protected. Um, and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park actually includes a 900-acre biodiversity reserve that's part of a um, network of protected areas. And so Um, Dr. Vickers and UC Davis have been monitoring mountain lions in this area um, for several decades now. And um, we're just now starting to collar mountain lions in our own backyard um, to kind of get updated information on how they're using the landscape in those connected
5: areas. And Jessica, since these animals seem to be everywhere, how closely are they monitored?
3: Yeah, there's several mountain lion research projects across the state. And they're run by universities like UC Davis, the National Park Service, and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, We monitor them in several different ways. We use GPS collars that allow us to look at their locations. Um, It's usually not in real time, but we can look back and see what kind of habitat they've been using. Um, We also look at their genetics by using um, scat and hair that we collect from the environment, and trail cameras that we put out on the landscape and we remotely can um, get images and video of them and see how uh, the areas that they're using, but also some of their behaviors.
5: And this question is for both of you. I mean, there seems to be danger uh, and wildlife living close to people and people living close to wildlife. So, how can we ensure the safety of mountain lions and ours? So, two
3: of the major causes of the mortality that we identified specifically for the Southern California mountain lions were collisions with vehicles and being killed under depredation permits um, because they mountain lions fed on livestock. And so some things that we can definitely do to address those are things like wildlife crossings, um, wildlife fencing along our highways to keep animals off of the highway. Um, But we also need to help protect our livestock and our domestic animals to prevent that conflict that leads to mountain lions being killed under depredation permits. And there's ways to build enclosures for your animals, bring them in at night. Um, There are groups like the uh, mountain lion Foundation that have really great information on their websites for owners um, of animals. But I think, you know, that's a responsibility that we have as animal owners to protect our animals. And it's going to cascade down and, and uh, also help protect mountain lions and other wildlife.
4: And to your question about how do we uh, protect people, uh, awareness uh, is a, a big thing when hiking, uh, not letting children. Uh, run out ahead of parents, or not let letting uh, uh, more susceptible individuals, perhaps or attractive individuals to the eye of a mountain lion be uh, out there on their own. The statistical likelihood of an attack is incredibly low. It's it's lower than being hit by lightning or or uh, being attacked by a shark, for instance, if you you swim in the ocean. So. That the the likelihoods are incredibly low. Uh, nevertheless, attacks do occur, and uh, that the best uh, study that's been done of the phenomenon uh, by uh, Matson and Logan a number of years ago that looked back over around 100 years, uh, they found that the risk factors f- uh, for attack were primarily small stature and rapid movement Uh, and so that sort of defines kids and and uh, so we should all be especially attentive and keep kids close when out hiking uh, and just be aware of surroundings and know what to do uh, if encountering a mountain lion.
1: That was Dr. Winston Vickers and Dr. Jessica Sanchez, a postdoctoral fellow at the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, speaking with KPBS's Jade Heineman. And before you go, there's still time to call us up and tell us your New Year's resolutions. Whatever you hope to accomplish in 2023, share it with us, and we may share it in an upcoming episode of the podcast. You can do that by calling us at 619-452-0228 and leaving a voicemail. We're looking forward to hearing what goals you have for the new year. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at KPBS.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.